Welcome to the 321st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Mel Odom, author of many novels, including Warlord, The Macomb War, Book 3. Stay tuned for the interview. back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Mel Odom. Odom is the author of many novels, both original novels as well as numerous media tie-in novels. His latest novels are the Macomb War Trilogy. Mel, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new trilogy, the Macomb War, how would you describe the books in the trilogy? I don't know. It was something kind of different for me. I've done military books before, and this was just, I don't know, I wanted to have a guy who'd been out of the war, wanted to get back into it, found a way to get back into it, but it was probably the worst place to be at first because there was no action, nothing was going on that he could get into, and then the wheels come off and everything bad happens. And so do you remember the the original idea that led you to write the trilogy? My agent and I were talking about stuff that I could potentially do, and he suggested how, you know, military science fiction is really, really big. And I'd read Old Man's War. I'd read The Forever War by Joe Haldeman way back in the day. And I really liked the idea, so I came up with this idea about a sergeant on a backward planet who was not prepared for the war to come to him, and neither were the men and people around him. So I went from there, and that's how it started. And so I talked about it. I've got my, my son Chandler. Is actually the one who named the world because he's good with coming up with names and stuff. I mean, he and I spitball because he's really into RPGs and things, role playing games. And so it just kind of extrapolated from there, just this idea of this guy who was in a bad place in a really bad war and built from there. And so, as I mentioned earlier, you've written many media tie in novels for a number of media properties, including Shadowrun. NCIS, Left Behind series, Hellgate, Android Board Game, Forgotten Realms, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer novels. Do you have any media tie-in novels scheduled for publication? Not right now. That has kind of gone away to a degree because, uh, well, I don't really know why it's gone away, but it has. And there's actually a tie-in group that I'm a member of, and they'll see some stuff every so often you get a trickle of it. But it's just not there the way it used to be. Movies are not what they used to be. So the tie-in books are not there for the movies the way they used to be, unless it's a really big-name property. And and do you think it's uh, books across the board with, with those media tie-in, or is it just, you know, you have, have been writing less of them? I think it's been a shift in the whole publishing industry, because publishing, ever since e-books came out, uh, they've taken a hit on a lot of things. So they're trying to stay with authors that have audiences already built in and stuff. And you don't have an audience built in completely with a tie-in novel, unless you've got something like Shadowrun. I do have a Shadowrun book that I'll be doing later this year, now that I think about it. I always get nervous on these things. <laughs> but um, I've got one coming out later this year and with Catalyst Lab. So I am doing some of that. And some of the world stuff is still open, but not directly to the television shows, the movies, and things like that. So there's still some uh, Warhammer 40K is still out there. There's a lot of things like that that is the world stuff. The things I really miss are some of the Forgotten Realms stuff. I really enjoyed playing in that world, and they discontinued novels. And I'm not quite sure why they did that. So, so but I know the shift to the ebook properties right. has been a big deal. And so what are your earliest memories of reading and books? 
the earliest memories I have, I was the oldest of five boys. And my mom, I was always a wanderer. As soon as she wasn't looking, I would go off somewhere. And this is when I was five and six years old. And as a parent now, raising kids, if that would, if I were, had raised a kid like me, I would have died. <laughs> because <laughs> we were out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, back then, there weren't as many bad things that could happen to you. But there were duck ponds and all kinds of, all kinds of things that kids get into mischief. And my mom, since my dad was working all the time, usually had a baby in arms when I was five years old. Five and six years old. She had one of his new. She still had one more to add later on, but <clears throat> at that time there were three of us that were small. And I would go off, and mom found these books. She there was this old series of books that she read to me, and they were flip books. It would be classic on one side and classic on the other. Robinson Crusoe, the Swiss Family Robinson, and she would sit and read those things to me in the afternoon. And as long as she was reading to me, I would stay right there. And so later, she, I bought some comic books because I really liked the comic books. My dad would give me a quarter. I could get two comic books and, and a piece of gum. You can't do that these days. But I would get that. And my mom would sit down and meticulously read these comic books to me, and I would point to the pictures and stuff. And when she was finished, I would read the comic book back to her. Of course, I couldn't read that much. I could pick out a word here and there. But uh, I remember the story. And that's the first time I really remember reading. And from that point on, I've always been ADHD. So when I was in third grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Knight, who I would get the work done and get bored. So I tended to socialize. I was more outgoing, I think, as a kid than I am now. But uh, she would talk to me. She goes, you need to do your work. It's done. You need to do it again. It's all right. And it was. And so she found a box of books at a garage sale. I don't even know if they had garage sales back then. She brought in a box of Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, and stuff like that. So when I got caught up in work, um, I got to read in class. And so that's what I did. Those are my earliest memories. And so what was your, um, how did you first start writing your own stories? And what was your path to publication like for your first novel? Well, when I was little, uh, there wasn't much to do. My mom during the summer would take me to the library and I could get five books at a time. And she wouldn't take me back for two weeks. Well, I'd check out the books on Monday, hadn't read by Wednesday, and be bored. And I figured some of those books had to have other stories about the characters because I really liked the characters. I grew up reading Robert Heinlein, Andre Norton, and Edgar Rice Burroughs. And so I thought, okay, there's got to be other adventures that these characters want. So I sat down over the summers and started writing some of them just for myself. I was incredibly wrong about many of those adventures, and some did have other adventures. But that was what got me started with just creating stuff for myself. And so I, I wrote my whole life. And I was just really afraid I would never get to be a writer. And in fact, I was 29 and I was married and had three kids by that time. And I thought, I've got to give this up. It's taking up too much of my time to do this. So at 29, I put myself out there and I thought, if I haven't sold anything by the end of this time, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to cut it off. It's an addiction. I just stop. And I got an opportunity to write a book for the Executioner series with Harlequin. Go legal. They're Go Legal in print. And I sent in a book part of the book and they rejected it and told me to try others because they saw some promise in me. So I was like, okay. And I sent in another one. I sent in four outlines. They rejected those and they said, well, this is close. It's not what we want. And I said, I've read those books. I know what they are. So I picked the best one of the four outlines I thought I had, sat down and wrote 115 pages of it and sent it in the day before I turned 30. And they got, that was in December. So they got hold of me in January and bought the first one and told me that or got hold of me in October and said, if I could finish it, they would buy it. 
sucking in the day before my birthday. And froze got hold of me in January and told me we're going to buy the book. And if you want to write others, let's see my line. And that first year I sold 11 novels. So I went from not being able to sell anything to wondering how I was going to catch up. But I have. So were those, were those all executioner novels that you sold? Those 11 novels? The six of them were executioner novels. Five of them were a series called Time Police. So it was for a company called Lynx Books. They came into business overnight and went out the same way. But <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up writing writing those books, and two of them did not ever come out. So they ran out of money before they could publish them. So was that a situation in terms of uh, where you said that you were submitting for um, synopsis or, or outlines, and they were rejecting them, and then you sat down and wrote one of them? Is is that kind of um, just kind of the experience sometimes of someone reading an outline and not really um, liking it, but you know, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Is that, is that how you felt like it happened? I don't know. I don't know if it was, you know, part of it's serendipitous because they needed writers at that time. They couldn't find writers who could do that kind of material. So I think it was a combination of the fact that uh, I don't know that I write really good outlines. Occasionally I do, but most of the time I feel like I don't. When it comes to outlines, I feel like a battery in the MLB. You know, one out of four, two out of four, I'm doing great. <laughs> so outlines are just not it. I'd rather tell the story. So they needed writers. I had an outline that was mostly there, and they bought it because they rejected outlines over the years after that, too, because that's any writer's going to go through that. Sure. And and um, so what what kind of stories were you were you writing or working on, you said, you know, in your 20s before you sold that? Um, you said as you turned 30, what were some of those um, early novels or stories that, that didn't end up get published? I grew up reading Robert B. Parker's Spencer novels. I grew up reading Raymond Chandler. I grew up reading all the old pulp detective novels and everything. All I've ever wanted to write were private eye novels. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And you know the one kind of novel I've never written? <laughs> Private eye novel? Yeah. <laughs> I got close. I can bring elements in. Because the Android thing that I did for the, the company there uh, really turned out to be a police investigator operated kind of like a private eye because the world that they created was very much like the old noir kind of stuff. So I felt at home there, but at the same time I was writing about an Android, so it was kind of like different. But it was hard-boiled Isaac Asimov, I guess, which would be a good way to put that. Great. Well, that was always my first love, which is the product of that novel. Gotcha. So we were talking about outlines and synopsises earlier, um, and we we also talked about the the media tie-in novels. Can you can you kind of kind of go through what the process um, was for you when you were writing a lot of those media tie-in novels? Would they would they call you up and and give you kind of the outline of the novel they wanted you to write, or would they tell you you know here are some ideas that we have? What what was that process like? The very first tie-in novel I did was for a show called, uh, oh my God, what was the show called? Secret World of Alex Mack. 
I told you I get nervous on these things. Yeah. Because uh, I can't see your face. I can't see the audience's <laughs> face on the lot. But anyway, the secret secret world of Alex Max. Alex Mack. My daughter was in sixth grade at that time. And she loved watching that show. And so she come get me. She says, Dad, I know you like superheroes. Come watch the show. And so I went in there, and Alex Mack had these weird powers and stuff like that. I started noticing books on the shelves. And during that summer, before that, I had uh, some friends of mine were writing juvenile novels. And they got hold of me, and they said, no, we, we've got this 12-book series. We don't have time to write all, that, write all of them. Can you write three? And I said, well, I've never written why. And so Yana told me, no, you can do this. And so I sat down and did three of them really quick over the summer. And they told me, and I told them, I said, I'd really like to write for Seton for Alex Mack. They said, oh, we know the know the editor there. So they reached out to her and gave me an introduction. And I sent Lisa Clancy an outline. And Lisa bought it and goes, okay, let's do this. And so I wrote that novel. And then after that, she invited me into the Sabrina Teenage Witch books. And she invited me into the Buffy Vampire Slayer books. So that was how I got into tie-in stuff. And then every so often, I would get tapped for the Blade book came out of nowhere. My agent called me one day. He goes, would you be interested in doing this? I grew up on reading comic books. That's what I love. I said, of course I can do that. And so I did. And Triple X came after that with Vin Diesel. And there were just other stuff that just kind of, I got known for a little while as a tie-in writer guy. Because I was fast, I could take the script and turn it into a really good book. Because I added depth and dimension to the characters in it. That, you know, they do really well when they're in the hands of an actor. But just to read a 90 to 120 page script, there's not a whole lot there sometimes. So I had to do extra stuff, and people liked what I did. Gotcha. So if I'm not mistaken, you've been self-publishing some Western stories and novels or novellas. Um, how's that working out for you? Well, I teach at the University of Oklahoma, and I wanted to teach the kids. The e-books were blowing up at that time. This was back in 2010, 2011, something like that. And I felt like it was – I talked to other writers, and there were other writers. Oh, no, it's just a flash. It's never going to mean anything. It's never going to do anything. You guys are wrong. These are the new pulps. This is people are buying these things. They're cheap. They're exactly what they want. They're not trying to be newer times bestsellers. There's reading is something that readers get into it and they read it. I've gotten frustrated with myself. I thought it was because I was getting old. I couldn't remember everything I've read, but I couldn't. I still can't. And I realized the whole thing is I just want to be there reading something that's interesting to me. That's why I can reread some of the novels I know I've read. Anyway, it blew up, so I taught myself so I could teach my students at the University of Oklahoma. And as it went on, the first couple of books I did and just put out there started making money. And I was like, okay, there's money to be made here. And I continued from that, and since then, there's been small press publishers coming up. And I'm currently with an outfit called Wolfpack. And the guy who runs Wolfpack, Mike Bray, is just absolutely phenomenal. He's a sales guy, but not a book guy. So... He knows what he wants. He knows the kind of product he wants. And he positions the marketing and everything else. We're doing really well with that. There's a lot of books that have hit all kinds of lists that he's published. But it, it really started out as me trying to figure out a way to teach my students at OU because I want to teach them as much as I can. Great. So um, as you mentioned, you're, you're, you're teaching and also, you know, as we've discussed, I mean, you're a very prolific, um, successful writer. Um, what is the writing process like for you? Um, do you outline um, extensively when you're sitting down to, to work on a book or do you write more organically? What, what's that like for you? I outline. <clears throat> I have to because I raised five kids myself. I coached the league for years for basketball, baseball, and football. 
And so I did all that. So in order to know where I was every day, I had to make an outline. Plus, you have to do a lot of outlines anyway for uh, the publishers. This is the book I want to do. This is what it's going to be like. This is going to be about. And I've gotten to where I do more and more longer outlines. And it's for me. And there's a book by James Scott Bell that is uh, Superstructure. Absolutely the best book I've ever seen to really explain what an outline should look like. So I started using that to teach the kids. But yeah, I there's some I had I feel every so often I'll have an idea. There's a book I did called The Pecos Undertaker, which has recently got republished by Wolfpack. And that Western novel, I had an idea of this kid standing in a grave, digging a grave for somebody with his mentor when a bad guy rides up and shoots his mentor. And I didn't know for sure what would happen after that. So I kind of made it up every day as I went, went along from there. And I had a great time. And the times I would sit down and outline, but just starting out, I had no clue. And I like to do that every now and then, but it's scary, too, because you don't know where you're going to end up. So I outline a lot. And so um, when you're writing, if, you, if you're if you having a day where the writing isn't going well for you, do you have any tips or tricks that you've kind of developed over the years to, to keep things moving? I garden. I garden like crazy <laughs> because I'm still getting my gardening this year. Um, used to, I used to go to the bookstores when I get, you know, just stuck and felt like I couldn't do my job. I would go to the bookstore, look around and go, well, all these other people are doing this job. And I go home and I'd be able to write, but it's tough exposure. I think the images, reading the backs of the books and just getting a lot of stuff in there. And I found out by the time I would go somewhere and come back, I'd killed at least an hour, hour and a half a day. I can go out in the garden and spend 10 or 15 minutes weeding, putting something in, watering, pruning back tomato plants or whatever I do. And it's like a 15, 20 minute trip. And by the time I work with my hands and actually get my mind off of what I'm doing, sometimes a whole book will just drop into my head and it's just right there. So the thing is to not think about it all the time because your subconscious uh, keeps you breathing at night and everything else. It's also the thing I think that creates stories. And so by the time you're sleeping, it's still working. So if you give your hand something else to do, your mind is free to work. One of the best things I used to do, wash dishes by hand. So I'd go in there and watch because kids around the house, always dishes. And so I used to stand there and wash dishes. By the time I got done, number one, I knew I never wanted to be a dishwasher the rest of my life. But number two, I usually had a book idea together. That's great. So, so what advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Man, write whatever appeals to you because you've got to have a, excuse me, you have got to have a passion for whatever it is you're writing. You can't just sit down and expect it to be there. You got to love it. And there's gonna be days you hate it too, but you got to love it enough to get over the hating that parts. But sit down and write what you want to because I promise there are readers out there who want to who want to read what you have to write because. New York does not service all the interests that we have these days. Uh, that's why there's so many television shows. We've got over 500 script, scripted television shows now, which I think is, a, I can't keep up. It's just way too many for me to even try. But uh, a lot of people, there's always a niche audience for anything that you do. Television has found it, and ebook guys have done it too. And what books have you read recently that you really enjoyed? I just read uh, Scott Carson, who's a pseudonym from Michael Korea, and I really enjoyed it. It's a horror novel, which he's kind of touched on elements of it before in some of his own work. But writing under the pseudonym, which is going to be a release for him to write his horror stuff in, I was really impressed with it. I read it over the period two nights, and I was genuinely creeped out a lot. So that one's been really impressive. 
I've gone back since I we're out of school right now, and plus the pandemic has shut everything down. I've been able to read a couple of old novels. I've read a couple of Doc Savage books. I've read some old science fiction that really didn't stand up, but man, at the time I thought they were great. So I'm kind of revisiting my roots and looking around for new things to read, but I'd really recommend Scott Carson, the Scott Carson book, The Chill. Great. And what are you working on now? I am currently working on a new Western novel for, for Wolfpack. Uh, it's a series I'm doing out of the A.W. Hart. I'm one of the writers on that team called Gunslinger. So I'm doing a new book on that. Great. And I've got another one projected to do after that and a couple other things to do. <laughs> and where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about your you and your books? MelOdomBook.com. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Mel Odom, author of the Macomb War Trilogy, as well as many other novels. The books are available now, so go buy them. And Mel, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks, Mel. I really appreciate it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.